You're listening to LJN Radio. I'm Tim Muma, and on this edition of Moving Up the Ladder, we're getting a little romantic. Now, that is, we're examining how perhaps a bit more humanity is needed in the business world as a whole. And we're speaking with Tim Lebrecht today. He's the Chief Marketing Officer of NBBJ. Now, that's a global design and architecture firm, and they help organizations like Amazon, Google. You may have heard a couple of those. Anyway, Tim is also the author of The Business Romantic, Give Everything, Quantify Nothing, and Create Something Greater Than Yourself. Tim, thanks for joining us on LGN Radio. Thanks for having me. Now, the book is an intriguing uh, thought, idea, maybe a little bit outside the box, some people would say. I guess I just wanted to get your take originally. Why did you come up with this idea? Why did you want to write about it? Where did some of these thoughts and ideas come from? The idea, again, of the business romantic. Yeah, I think the, the book argues that we need more romance in our lives and that we can find it and create it in and through business. Now, some people might immediately raise their eyebrows and say, well, what, what are you talking about here? You're talking about office romance or uh, flirting with your colleagues. That's obviously not what I'm proposing. Right. I'm not talking about the romance at work. I'm talking about the romance off work. So really those experiences that give us surprising, disruptive moments uh, during our day-to-day work routine, that create moments of delight, of wonder and magic and unexpected beauty. So those those features that are typically associated with the term romanticism and that take mm-hmm. a, a stance against the predictability that often comes with a, a fixation on data and quantified truth. So it's, the book is essentially uh, making a case for business that allows us to bring our full selves to work outside of the confines of quantified of quantified metrics and the typical cold business logic. So is that something you would say that you feel has been lost over the past, I don't know, 5, 10, 15 years exactly? There's two things going on. I, I call this the great disenchantment, which is a term that a, a philosopher uh, coined 100 years ago in response to the industrial age. And I believe we're seeing another age of great disenchantment. Mm-hmm. One reason is the that people are really tired of the race to the bottom line and this fixation on numbers alone, it's really killing our spirits. Um, a Gallup study from 2013 indicated that only 13% of employees worldwide are fully engaged at work, and the mm. rest is uh, somewhat engaged or really checked out right. and even spreads negativity among coworkers. I think the other um, reason why we're witnessing a great disenchantment regarding work is the, the datafication, the quantification of everything. Mm-hmm. So Technology has invaded the most private aspects of our lives. It's not just tracking our fitness runs and making everything more familiar and more convenient, but even at the workplace now, we are using tracking devices to gauge the social dynamics in meetings to make sure that we are the efficient, hyper-productive machines that we are not at the end of the day. And I think there is great concern that we are engineering the romance out of our lives and we're engineering humanity out of the workplace through a, the overuse of these tracking devices and new technologies. I think both reasons contributed to this great disenchantment. And I think we need more, more space for romance at work. And that's the case that my book is, is making. Right. Oh, you bring up some excellent points there as far as, you know, as you mentioned, the data and, and technology playing that role as well. Do you see technology then as taking away from some sort of intimate communication that we're, in essence, losing ourselves or not really knowing who we're working with? I mean, does it get to that point or is that too far? I'm not against technology. It's probably too late for that, but <laughs> I, I, I think it depends on how we're using technology. Okay. And uh, there's great examples of a, 
uh, of romantic, more enlightened use of technology. There's a school of poetic computation in New York, actually, that's training engineers to use data to not only demystify or clarify, but to create moments of beauty, surprise, and serendipity even. I also know from big leading tech firms that they have begun to engineer serendipity into their workplace designs. So they no longer design only for efficiency or convenience. They understand that serendipity uh, and what, for example, online retailer uh, Zappos is calling people collisions is spurring innovation. So I see a backlash happening even through the means of technology and how technology can be used in that way. Um, At the same time, I I am worried about this myopic belief in, in big data and smart algorithms and tracking devices Mm -hmm. to provide us with the only truth. And that's definitely another trend as well. I think that is very concerning indeed. Along similar lines with that, we hear all the time the idea of transparency and how that is this big deal and it's going to help with, you know, employees understand what they should be doing because everything's out in the open. I get the sense from some of the things I've seen that you don't necessarily agree that transparency is the greatest thing. The traditional romantic movement really touted mystery and mystique is one of their, their key virtues. And if you think about the most meaningful experiences in our lives, in your life, probably they are rather impractical. Oftentimes, they're very mysterious. Mm-hmm. It's the random encounters with strangers, or it's moments that you couldn't quite make sense of immediately that were unpredictable, that happened out of the blue. And it's this mystique, I think, that is really something we're all craving for. However, in business, of course, Usually, we design for consistency, for predictability, right. we automate, we standardize, and I think transparency has been the latest feature in that track. And transparency, of course, is, can be wonderful and can be very inclusive. It can uh, facilitate open innovation. It can create trust. But if, when everything is transparent, in a way, nothing is transparent. And hmm. you eliminate texture, you eliminate contrast. And Companies have begun to recognize that there is an initiative even by a firm like Accenture that is rewarding um, what they call the, the intrapreneurs, the rebels within their organizations, and giving them space to meet within the structures of the organization to organize almost like a secret society, if you will. <laughs> There's also companies that have begun to make, to turn secrecy into their, their business model. One notable example is a startup in, in the UK that's also now coming to the United States called Secret Cinema. They are offering so-called mystery screenings. So they're showing movies but not telling people which movie they're going to see. Hmm. And they're able to get up to 10,000 people to attend um, these immersive, interactive events. So they're turning the secret into the product. And then, of course, we'll see on the consumer technology side, we'll see the rise of anonymous sharing applications such as Whisper or Secret, where you can anonymously share information or statements. And I think that also shows that there's, there's a great desire for experiences that are not fully available, that are, that are not transparent, that are mm-hmm. a little bit hidden, that are happening in the dark. I think that's a very human desire and we, we need to cater to that. Do you have any tips or strategies maybe for some employers or companies out there that are listening to try to move more in this direction and give their employees a little bit more of this romanticism, anything they could start with or any suggestions you would have? The, the key thing is really to make the, the familiar strange again and think about ways how you can shake up the day-to-day routine at business from which so often the, the magic, the romance is gone, at least after a while, mm-hmm. the routine creeps in. So you can do this on the way to work. You can, For example, you can begin by, by talking to strangers on the commuter train. There's been some interesting research recently that uh, showed that people who do that report higher levels of happiness. They feel alive. Wow. They push themselves a little bit out of their comfort zone and just start the day on a very different 
in a very different way than uh, the usual routine. And then at work, of course, you can continue creating this, this sense of strangeness by rearranging your workplace. Companies like Credit Suisse, for example, the bank has turned its Swiss headquarters into a co-working space where no one sits at the same desk every day. And you can take this even further and swap roles even with your boss. You can hold meetings where you are presenting on a topic that you, you're not familiar with. Mm-hmm. So it's this constant I think this constant desire to to do something that's slightly out of your comfort zone that that makes the familiar strange again. There's there's a number of ways to do that. Those, those are just some sure. little hacks. The book proposes a few more. Now I do find that interesting because as I'm listening to you describe these, I'll look around or think about the people I've worked with or even myself and think, I don't know, Tim. I don't know that I really want to be doing that stuff. I and mean, that's great. You want to push me on my comfort zone, but that seems a little too far fetched. Do you see a lot of resistance to that possibly happening? Or do you think the more people do it, it will become kind of okay in their mind? Everybody needs to to figure out, of course, for themselves what their boundaries are, right? I mean, you don't want to make people too uncomfortable. But evolutionary psychologists call, call these events critical events, um, events that challenge us, that, that question our, our usual cognitive uh, reactions. And, mm-hmm. and they say basically that... Um, we're no longer, we, we have, uh, our brains are still wired for the Stone Age, um, basically. We, we are looking for events that prove that we're fit, that, that we can, we can uh, weather uh, challenging events, but we don't really have them anymore in our domesticated society. So what we do is we go bungee jumping, ah. <laughs> we, we run an ultra marathon, <laughs> we maybe right. travel to exotic countries where we're experiencing those, what they call critical events. And so the resistance that you mentioned is is part of it. It's part of the equation, right? So you want to be a little bit, you, you want to have that resistance and you want to feel slightly uncomfortable and then push yourself. And those are meaningful, usually meaningful encounters. But again, you, you, everybody needs to decide for themselves where they draw the lines. Really. Sure. Similarly, at least in my mind, I came across a TED talk of yours and it was a discussion really of control. And I guess in this case, control versus vulnerability, as I saw a note from the book. How does that play a role and where does that all come into play in terms of what we're talking about? In a way, romance is all about losing control. Hmm. When you fall in love with someone, when you, when you fall in love with an idea, when you have experiences of, of surprise, then in a way you're losing control. And we secretly crave that, right? We, we crave those experiences where we're losing control for a little bit. And the same, I think, holds true in business. You could argue that, of course, business were never really fully in control, especially the, about their brands. Brand has always been what other people say about you when you're not in the room. Maybe that's now amplified through social media, where you can no longer control the conversation and customers really form an image and the reputation of, of your brand. But that is obviously also you can use that to your, to your advantage. Example is Microsoft, uh, as they released Connect their gaming product. And that mm-hmm. got hacked by uh, the community of users. Microsoft first turned against it and, and was very worried about it, didn't want their product to be hacked and until they realized that the co-opting and the hacking of their product actually created a great sense of community hmm. and great attachment to the product and actually made the product better. So they gave up control. They finally were okay with losing their control <laughs> and actually uh, were very successful doing so. Other companies have given up control even over their vacation policies. Netflix is one example, really allowing their employees to determine how much vacation they want sure. they want to take. And that creates trust, that creates a sense of empowerment, and that all pays huge dividends in terms of uh, customer and employee loyalty for, the, for these organizations. 
Tim, you've definitely had some uh, interesting suggestions. And I, I love that you give us specific examples with organizations that a lot of people know about, or maybe they don't in some of the cases you brought up. But I think giving those practical examples of what you're talking about really help connect with the listeners. So I really do appreciate you doing that. Another aspect that I saw from the TED Talk, and I wondered if this played a role in some way, but was the idea of forcing people to help others. And of course, you know, forcing being loosely used there. But where does that come into play? Or how can that help with this whole idea of being a little more romantic at the workplace? The fascinating research that, that is actually um, from Adam Grant's book, Give or Take. Sure. He examines the power of generosity and he cites a, a study that was conducted about interrupting your task at work through, altru- through an altruistic task. So if people interrupt their usual work and they donate or they do just for 15 minutes, they do something that is uh, in an altruistic spirit for others, they report a higher sense of productivity. They feel more fulfilled and they feel they're more productive. They probably are more productive. (laughs) And what is so romantic about it, I think, first of all, giving more than you take. So altruism per se is a very romantic gesture. It doesn't expect anything in return. Right. That's a very romantic posture. And again, it's this notion of making the familiar strange, um, disrupting the routine through moments of surprise and even the occasional altruistic task does that, right? Sort of it takes you out of your routine, it creates a little bit of discomfort, a sense of adventure, even just for 15 minutes. And, and that change, I think, how you feel about the work and your whole experience at a typical workday. Tim, again, some excellent stuff. We appreciate you coming on. If I gave you 30 seconds here at the end, just to give a last final either summary or pitch of what we've been talking about today, what would you want to leave the listeners with? The insight that we are indeed moving from a smart, connected age to what I believe is a new romantic age. Um, with business being the, 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 the powerful force and, and vehicle. And I just want to encourage you all not to be cynical. That's really the anti-romantic cynicism. But whether you're a card-carrying romantic or you're a closet romantic, just come out and start to implement some of these romantic experiences that we talked about at your day-to-day work. They might seem rather small and mundane, but they're going to add up to a very, very different workplace and experience and a very different career. So I think it's worth it. That is a wonderful punctuation to the show. Tim, thanks again for coming on sharing your insights with us. Thank you so much, Tim. And that will officially do it for us here on Moving Up the Ladder. Again, we've been speaking with Tim Lebrecht. He's the chief marketing officer of NBBJ. He's also the author of the latest book of his, The Business Romantic, Give Everything, Quantify Nothing, and Create Something Greater Than Yourself. If you'd like to get in touch with us about this show or any of our podcasts, send us an email to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. Also, be sure to check out our shows on iTunes. Just go ahead and search LJN Radio. And finally, if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, you can find us at the LJN. For everyone here at LJN Radio, I'm your host, Tim Muma. We'll talk to you later.